We will continue our study in this wonderful gospel. Um, I was uh, I was thinking about what Ray said, how it is that we don't sugarcoat. And truly, I, I would go up to each and every one of you right now and shake your hand and tell you I love you. And uh, and we're truly not going to sugarcoat this morning's word either. <laughs> um, so, you know, put your seatbelts on, fasten them tight, um, because we're in for quite a ride this morning. Um, how many of you sometimes are given to worry? <clears throat> Any of you? Yeah? <laughs> all of you. All of us, all right? At some, at some point, we, we tend to worry. Some more than others, but we all worry to some extent. Uh, we all have um, anxieties in our lives. In fact, there's all kinds of medication that the doctors like to give us uh, to take care of those anxieties. So we worry, we're anxious, we are stressed out, right? We're overwhelmed. There's all kinds of things that, that we um, experience in this life. But this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you truly the cure to your worry. And that's the title of this morning's message. message the cure to worry is found in one person, and that is Jesus Christ. So I'll give it to you right from the beginning. Uh, but, but what we need to do is understand and know and receive and live out the very thing, the very person who is the cure to our worry in everyday lives. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, the very text that we're going to be, go, uh, going, to be going over, says, Do not be anxious about your life. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians and says, Do not be anxious about anything. And in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, it is written, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Now, I believe, I truly believe that we can all relate to treasure and tension. Treasure and tension. Both of them coming together, we've experienced them both in our lives uh, in one way or another. Either we have experienced these in the past, dealing with them now, or will be confronted with them in the future. Talking about wealth, financial security... Uh, comfort, um, maybe even amenities. And I can say that most people, if not all of us, have some kind of a threshold that has been established that determines what it is makes life comfortable. I know that it's, uh, the surveys have been out, you know, ask people who make $25,000 a, uh, a, a year, what would, you be, what would you consider to be the American dream? How, what is it that would be your threshold for you to achieve it? About 52000 For those of, uh, that make 50000 what is it that for you would be achieving the American dream? Living comfortably. About a hundred thousand. So you, you can, you know, pretty much guess the way the these questions, these, these questionnaires, and how it is that they're answered, right? For those of you who make a hundred thousand dollars a year, what would make you com- comfortable? Two hundred thousand, right? And so on and so forth. But because many believe that they have not, for this very reason, this is proof of it. 
We take these polls and we see the results of them. Because many believe that they have not reached this threshold, they are filled with worry, anxiety, stress. They have troubled hearts. They're overwhelmed. Now, if your peace is determined by the dollar amount in your bank account, by the career position you do not have, or maybe even life status, then your peace is not in Christ, and it is something that you're grasping for that is empty. It's vain. It fails you. And it is elusive. You'll never grasp grasp it. You'll never attain it. You'll never get there. Godliness with contentment truly is great gain. To know satisfaction is to be fulfilled in Christ. To not pursue anything beyond what you have because there's no personal need to satisfy any cravings that you have outside of Jesus Christ. No other cravings, no other desires, no other passions beyond the Lord and His glory. Those two things, the Lord and His glory, His kingdom, His advancement, His benefit, His glory, His righteousness. This is the place in our relationship with Jesus Christ that one is truly clear-minded in and through, single-minded, heavenly-minded, and you're able to discern situations and conscientiously love the Lord with clarity and absent of worry, anxieties, and stress. We're filled with stress, but why? I asked on Wednesday, is that a respectable sin? Is that one that we wouldn't even consider? I can tell you that within the church, it is. And that's a sin for the church to consider stress, worry, anxiety, to not be anything other than a sin. It's a sin. It's a sin that we need to repent of, turn from, confess to the Lord, and instead enjoy that peace that we need to come to know in Jesus Christ, to truly trust Him. Unfortunately, we can say with our mouths that we trust God. If I were to ask all of you right now, do you, do you trust God? Do you love Him? Most, if not all, would say, I do. I trust Him and I love Him. But at the same time, be filled with worry regarding our lives. You see, that doesn't match. They're contrary. And a worrisome life speaks louder than the words coming out of our mouths. Our lives, how we live our lives. It's like we could say one thing, but if we're living contrary to that, that that's, that's what's setting the tone, and that's what's proclaiming who our God or gods are. You see, at this moment, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Remember, he sat down on the mountain, and as he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. He's teaching his disciples, and he's telling them nothing is new under the sun. Apparently, these people experience money and stress issues too. The people of Jesus' day experienced these problems also with time, treasure, and talent? Yeah. yeah. Nothing new is under the sun. The same things that they 
dealt with back then, we're dealing with today. It's just a different time in history. And Jesus wanted to teach them the true solution to their money and stress problems. You want to know the solution to your money and stress problems? Do you, do you want to know? Do you want to understand? Do you want to receive that? Do you want to know that in your lives? Because he was teaching them as he is this morning, each and every one of us. Jesus wanted to teach them the true solution to their money and stress problems, just as he desires to teach us that very thing this morning. Very same thing. Let's read through our text and then we'll break it down. Verse 19 in chapter 6 of Matthew. Do not, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, um, Lord, this is a, a great issue that we need to face head on. And it is only by your help, by your grace, Lord, that we can allow your word to break down these preconceived notions, the pride in our heart, any kind of justification that we have given to anxiety and worry and the misuse of even our time, talent, and treasure. Lord, I pray that as we come under the authority of your word, that we would yield to your word and that your spirit would give us understanding. And Lord, that we would confess our own shortcomings. Lord, that we would instead line our lives up with your will and your plans. 
that you would be glorified because your word tells us, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things, all of our needs will be added to us. Lord, I pray that we would truly believe those words, not just memorize them and and tell them to others, Father. I pray that we would first listen to them and receive them ourselves and understand them, Lord, and apply them to our own lives, again, to your glory. We need a, a, a good, clean washing from this, uh, this stinking thinking that the world has infused into our minds of thinking that we need to pursue the same things that the world does. The Gentiles, as your word tells us, as we just read this morning, that's the way they think. That's the way the world thinks, Father. Lord, help us, Lord. Please, I plead with you that your spirit would move this morning and impact our hearts in such a way that we would be changed by your word. And again, you would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So money, is it a tool or is it a treasure? The first few verses there, starting in verse 19, the Lord Jesus, he said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust or worm destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus had just warned all of his disciples against being some real good actors. He warned them against being hypocrites regarding giving, praying, fasting. He just warned them about all those things. And then he quickly and swiftly moves on to the subject of money and worry. These two things. What Jesus is laying out is a fool's paradise that is made up in our own minds of things that we have come to believe is true living, but is only a state of imaginary happiness. You been there? I know I've been there. And you know what? I can dip into those areas in my own life from time to time. I, I get fooled again. It's like, man, what, what is wrong with me? I knew these things. These are just things that the Lord deceives us with that may bring, bring fulfillment and happiness. Oh, but it's fleeting. It's for a moment. It's empty. It's vain. It's grasping at the air. It's not there. It, it, it's, it's a trip how that can happen. Three things that Jesus points out here. He talks about the heart, the eye, and the master. There's only one master in our lives. Let's first talk about the heart. Verses 19 through 21 refers to the heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart is a hollow, muscular organ that pumps blood throughout our circulatory system, right? Well, the heart is much more than that. The heart is also known as the center of a person's thoughts, a person's emotions, where courage comes from, enthusiasm, passion, and basically the essence of one's life. But your will can direct and change your heart. 
That is, what I'm saying by that is what you choose. You can exercise free will. But there are many external factors that can influence what we choose, even if it's against what we know to be right. And why is that? Why is it that even the Apostle Paul talked about this struggle? You know, I do the things I, I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I know I ought to do. It's like there's this struggle. Why? Because the spirit wars against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit, the world, pride, all of those things war against the spirit. And it causes us to see things and be tempted by things and be overwhelmed with pride and leads us to believe something contrary to what God tells us is true treasure. If you focus on earthly treasure, you will lead a life that is filled with frustration and emptiness. At some point, you'll come to realize that because nothing you do will satisfy. It's like just a little more. How much is enough? A little more and a little more and a little more. And you'll keep going. There was never a man wealthier than Solomon. And yet he came to understand his wealth as being vain. It's empty. Everything under the sun is is vanity, he said. It did not fulfill what he thought it would fulfill. Nothing at all. Is it money? Is it possessions? Is it knowledge? No, none of those things. He said it's it's all empty. It's all vanity. Albert Einstein said this, quote, Too many of us look upon Americans as dollar chasers. This is a cruel libel, even if it is reiterated thoughtlessly by the Americans themselves, close quote. It was a little dig, by the way. <laughs> now, Jesus begins by addressing the accumulation of personal treasure. Outside of Jesus himself, God being that treasure that we fix our eyes on and pursue. If you truly want to know where your thoughts and emotions, courage and enthusiasm, the essence of your life is, then you don't have to look any further than what you value most. Just take a look at your bank account. Take a look at your time account, you could say. The history of your time, what, what you've spent your time in and on doing, that pocketbook, where is it that you've spent your money? And what you'll so soon learn is what you treasure or value most. Now, I, I want to give you this verse again because it's not what the pastor is saying. It's what the good shepherd is saying, his word. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I'm, I'm not giving you anything. It's like, oh, well, he's saying it's the pocketbook, but I don't really believe it's the pocketbook. You know, it's like, okay, well, argue with God. Okay, you can't argue with God in his word. You can argue with me all day long, and we can go back and forth. These are, those are only opinions, right? But when it comes to this, you, ha- you don't need to look any further than what you value the most. And those are gauges. Those are the things that determine what you treasure most. Jesus is not asking them if they agree with him. He's not saying, hey, you know what? Listen, guys, I know you're all standing right now. I'm sitting down. But I just want to, like, just bounce something off of you. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You guys, you guys, you guys okay with that? He wasn't asking, was he? He was stating with authority. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a statement. He is the authority, and he's not asking them to justify anything. It is either one way or the other. Lay up treasure on earth, it's empty and frustrating because someone or some circumstances can come and snatch it away from you in a moment. Just like that. By the way, he's not saying that we are to be bad stewards with our money, to be reckless, but don't let it be your purpose for living. Lay up treasure in heaven? Well, that's untouchable is what he's saying. It's credited to your eternal account. No one can steal it. It doesn't rot. No one can take it away. It's there. It's untouchable. Either way, what Jesus is saying is this reveals where your heart is. Remember, I've told you time and time again, when we come to him and, and we ask him to reveal certain things, it, it's not like to like lay something on the Lord that he doesn't already know. It's like, ah, you know, you may not know this, but, and then we say something, right? He, he's not in heaven going, oh, wow, I never knew that about you. I am shocked. He's not. What are you saying? Yeah. And you know what? That revelation, the reason why it's come to the surface is for you to deal with it. What are the choices that you're going to make at this point? Where do you spend your time and money? What are you working to accumulate? That will tell you what you value most in life. How about your eye? Verse 22, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. What's he saying by that? Well, what, do you, what do you see? What's your perspective? How do you see the world around you? Jesus shifts our attention from the heart to the eye, from the center of a person's thoughts and emotions, courage and enthusiasm and the essence of one's life to the way in which we see the world around us. Perspective does matter. Our worldview does matter. If the portal is clear, we have a vessel. If the portal is clear, then the light will enter freely and enter the whole vessel. It will be full of light. It's very practical, right? It's this illustration, this picture that Jesus is drawing in our mind's eye. A vessel, a portal coming in. The light cannot come in unless the portal is clear. And if that portal is clear, the whole vessel is filled with light. But if the portal is blocked, then the light will not freely enter the vessel. And guess what's going to be inside the vessel? It's very logical, right? Dark. And it is very dark in there. Two people can possess the same amount of money and have the same life, same exact life, and two different things with, uh, they can do two different things with that money and with their possessions and the things that they've been gifted with because they have different worldly views, different perspectives. Jesus is very clear in saying here that a heavenly perspective is to have a clear and healthy portal. 
that allows the vessel, the person, to be full of light, that is, the truth of God's word, but to have a blocked and unhealthy portal is to not allow that vessel to be filled with God's light, and it is filled with darkness, and darkness is likened to evil. It's like, oh, come on, you know, are you going to go that far? It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take it that far. Because if you're not filled with God's truth, guess what you're filled with? You're filled with something. It's either or. There's nothing in between. Well, like, you know, half clear, half obscured. No. The Lord is very clear. Right? How great is the darkness. And again, we get fooled into believing that we can justify why it is that our eye can remain a bit dark, a bit on the dark side. Verse 25, who's your master? Or I'm sorry, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is referencing what was commonly known at the time. And that is the master, uh, the, the relationship between a master and his slave. A slave, very practically, very logically, could not belong to two masters or three or four or five. Just, the slave belonged to one. It was an impossibility. You either belong to the one or belong to another. It wasn't like, okay, well, today I'm going to go to this master's home and I'm going to work for him but then but then I'm you know the rest of the week I'm going to come over here no 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 it's just one just one and they knew that it was very clear and Jesus is pointing out that they needed to choose who they would be loyal to really the bottom line is are you either for me or are you against me do you choose me or do you choose the world because friendship with the world is enmity with God that means you're an enemy of God Many times we justify the issue of master and servant in our own lives. And again, it goes back to what we really treasure or value in our lives. It's revealed, by the way, we don't have to be rich in order to serve money. Many people will openly say that they love God over anything or anyone else, but their lives, again, speak louder than their words. They are demonstrating that they serve money over God. And you don't believe me? Well, what will you sacrifice for? What have you sacrificed for up to this point? I can tell you that, uh, I don't know, sometimes I think, you know, one of our sons was really good at arguing. He is. Maybe a couple. Maybe all four. He even had this one teacher convinced that she was wrong. No, really, I, I, I turned it in. I turned it in on time. I had it all right on your desk. And it's like, and you even looked at it, and you told me that you received it. And thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and grade it. And she's like, maybe I did. Right? She, and she even told Bettina, he is so convincing. Right? Sometimes we can, we can listen to that little voice in our ear and we can be convinced otherwise. We can. We, we succumb to that. 
But the bottom line is, what have you sacrificed up to this point? Are, are we still living lives of convenience? By the way, did you guys know that today has been, and I haven't mentioned anything, today, President Donald Trump has said that this is a day of prayer in our nation. Did you know that? By a show of hands, just humor me. How many of you knew that? Okay. We have prayer every morning at 9 o'clock. I'll just say that. You get what I'm saying? Why aren't more people sacrificing for the very things that we ought to be doing? Quite honestly, and, and I'm, I'm in there, okay? I'm, I'm telling you, what, what I go over on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, and, and any other time, I'm taken to the woodshed myself first. And I'm like, wow, Lord, okay. I understand. But there's Wednesday nights. We should, we should actually have even more people on Wednesday nights. Why? Because it's kind of like a midweek stop. It's something that we should be doing often. What did the first church do? Oh, they met in their homes daily. Daily. And, and they did so with joy, celebrating. They were excited about the word of God. They were excited about the risen Christ. They were excited about what the Spirit was doing inside the congregation, the fellowship of believers. And somehow we sacrifice for everything else and not to come together corporately. You know what? We'll go ahead and we'll check off. We went there on Sunday morning. Isn't that good enough? Yeah, we, we get together on our own, in our own homes, with the Word of God on a regular basis. I'm not doing this to shame you, by the way. It, it, it pains me to see a lackluster church. It pains me to see a church that is asleep. It pains me to see a body of Christ that is not passionate about the Lord of the church. It, it pains me. There's, there's passion. It's passionless. It's, there's nothing there. We sacrifice for sports. We sacrifice for our careers. We sacrifice for our bosses. We sacrifice for our children. We sacrifice for our wives. We sacrifice for everything else, money included. Yet we don't sacrifice for our Lord. It pains me. If you're tired and even a little sick, do you go into work? Bet you do. tired, feeling a little under the weather, do you still serve God? Is serving God many times inconvenient and does it invade your personal time? This is my time. It's like, what do you mean your time? My, my time does not belong to myself. I need to, I need to be reminded of that often. It doesn't belong to me. I was purchased with a great price. In Romans 12, 1, the Apostle Paul, one of my heroes of the faith, he was begging 
with the Christians in Rome. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I know in some translations, it's your reasonable service. It's what you are to respond with your whole life, everything. And so the question here is, where's your heart? How's your eye? And who's your master? Those three things. You see, money can either be a tool to serve God with or a treasure that you value most, but it can't be both. You cannot serve God and money. Now let's talk about anxiety. And again, just just know something. I, I never come up here and I never want you to think that I'm up here and I say something, again, for me to be that source of conviction. It's not me. I pray that it's always the word of God. It's always the Lord. Verse 25 speaks through 32 speaks of anxiety. I won't read it through again, but I will cover it with commentary and hopefully helping us understand it. Jesus is saying to his disciples that worry and anxiety is of no benefit at all. Zero. It's got zero benefit. Jesus wanted them to think to reason and to realize a few things that were very, very important. You see, life itself should not be wrapped up in food and clothing. But what is the world obsessed with today? Food and clothing. It's obsessed with food and clothing. The average American eats out about five times a week. We must be above average. 20 times a month. Let me ask you this. If you don't eat out, how many times have you missed a meal? You you must hate yourself if you miss a meal all the time. Not many people miss a meal. But if I would ask how many times the average Christian consumes his Bible, I wonder what that average would be. It would be less than the number of times we eat out per month. But the word tells us, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then we wonder why we are spiritually anemic and sometimes even spiritually dead. We're not, we're not reading, we're not meditating on. But Jesus is saying that life is more than food. the food we eat. He's saying it's more than the clothing we put on. And then he tells us to reason with him He brings these things to our attention. He reasons. He says, birds, consider the birds of the air. There's certain things that they don't do like you do. They're not like you. They don't compare to you. And yet, God still provides for them. He feeds them. And he says, but are you not of more value than they? Just just reason, right? Just think about this is what he's saying. Because Christianity is for the thinking man. It's for the person who will think through these things. Anxiety. Well, be anxious. Has that added an hour to your life? Maybe even a day? No, not at all. In fact, it does the opposite. It cuts time out of your life or from your life. In fact, worry is a big reason for disease, for certain problems in our lives. How about, let's talk about the lilies of the field, the grass of the field. 
right? King Solomon, in all of his glorious apparel, would not compare with one of these. And God dresses the grass. If you think about how it's composed, everything that dresses that blade of grass, the lilies of the field, you would be in awe. How much more, he says, will he not clothe you? So what is the real issue behind anxiety and worry? Is it ever justified? And the answer is, of course, no. We must confess it and repent of it because it reveals a lack of faith. He says little faith. That means unbelief. And, by the way, a mistrust of God. That's what faith is. Or or a lack of faith, of being stressed out and being anxious and being worrisome, being overwhelmed. The world worries because they're fully relying on themselves. But as God's children, we have a heavenly Father who knows what we need. He knows fully what we need. And we can trust Him. He is trustworthy. By the way, do you have responsibilities? I know we all have some responsibilities, right? Everyone does. But there's a difference between a godly sense of responsibility and an ungodly sense of responsibility. Let me tell you that an ungodly, faithless sense of worry will disguise itself in your life as, you guessed it, responsibility. It it comes in and says, well, I'm responsibility, so you should be worrying about me. You should be anxious. You should be stressed out. Jesus, again, is teaching his disciples to focus their attention on the important things in life. What truly is of value to the Lord has an eternal value, a heavenly value. How to be good stewards and how to lay up treasures in heaven, how to be single-minded and how to serve one master who is good. And finally... Verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, this is what Jesus wanted his disciples to focus their time, talent, and treasure on. God's kingdom, God's righteousness. By the way, if you do that, God's going to provide all these things that you need. The, The necessary things. Jesus didn't tell his disciples, don't worry, be happy. He, he didn't tell them that. That's all centered on, on the person. No, he told them to replace worry and anxiety with this. A deep, genuine concern for the kingdom of God and to develop a habit and a passion to live for his glory. Uh, does, does, that, does that not include me? Yeah, it does include you. If you do these things, you will be blessed. You'll be satisfied. You will be content. You will know a peace which surpasses all understanding. Simply said, this verse demands a commitment to search for, find, and do the will of God and align ourselves with God's purpose and plan. And this commitment must come before anything and above anything or anyone else. I, I, can, I can tell you, that if the father of the prodigal son were more worried about the happiness of the prodigal son, then the father would not have been in his home waiting for the prodigal son. And the prodigal son would actually be the story of the prodigal son and the father, the prodigal father, because they would have both gone into the world. 
We don't, we don't follow those, even in our own households, that steer away. We, we, do, we don't cater to them. Joshua said in Joshua twenty four fifteen, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If Jesus said that I have come not, not to bring everyone together, because it won't happen, it won't happen. There will be divisions. There will be husbands and wives that will hate each other. There will be fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, mothers and daughters, mothers and sons. All of these things will happen. But the one person who is not to, to hate is the believer. The true believer will love the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter. The true Christian who is a son or a daughter will love their father and love their mother and desire above all that they would come to the same knowledge of Jesus Christ they will love them with an agape love. It's the world that hates. It's not the church that hates. It's the other way around. May we not be pulled into that anger and hatred and bitterness. May we not be pulled into that. But I can tell you, that, I, and I would hope for the fact, if I were to fall away from the faith, if I were to walk away, that my wife would stay steady in her walk with the Lord. If she were to walk away from the Lord, that I, I would have to step down from this pulpit. I would have to step down as being a pastor because my home would not be in order. But I would hope and pray that I would have the strength to continue walking with the Lord. Regardless if she were, were to walk away, regardless if my children would walk away, that I would stay living for the glory of the Lord. Because Jesus was telling his disciples, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. This is what it looks like. This is what it is. And he concludes with this logical and easy to understand truth. After he tells them all of this, it says in verse 34, Therefore, this is where the conclusion of the whole matter is. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It doesn't today have its, like, has its own set of troubles. Why look to tomorrow? Why look behind you? Think about today, right? Do this and all that is necessary will be provided for you. Live in the day. Redeem the time. Make the best use of your time. We can't do that today if we're full of worry about tomorrow. We're overwhelmed. We're consumed. What is tomorrow bringing? If you think about it, I'm sure you've thought about tomorrow and this week and maybe the following months. What is tomorrow bringing? Do we even know? I mean, fully. Do we know perfectly what tomorrow is bringing? We need to live in today. Again, tomorrow will bring its own set of issues. God does not want us to remember the past as far as to live in the past but to, and, and, and to plan for the future, but not live in the future, but to live in the present, today. To live in the past is to live with an anchor of regret and perhaps the weight of past glory, holding us back from entering into today and living it to its fullest. To live in the future is to ignore the present and to live in the past is to live dissatisfied lives. 
to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness is the basic choice a person makes when he first surrenders his life to Jesus Christ. It's the first thing. We understand it from the very beginning. To seek God in the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I'm doing it right now. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. I, I, I want and I will and I choose him. And I ask that, Lord, you would forgive me of my sins and that you would just completely wipe away anything that I'm indebted to you for with my sin. You would completely wipe the slate clean. And you would instead impute to me your, your grace, your righteousness, that you would justify me in the Son. All these things. We're, at that moment, we're heavenly minded. We're not, we're not caring, we're not thinking about the world. That perspective has been lost in the miracle of a moment. But how does it continue? Every day thereafter it needs the same kind of surrender and trust in Jesus Christ to live a life that is fixed on the right treasure. Jesus is our prize. He is our victory. He is our treasure. So you want to know the cure to your worry, whatever it is. What's a life of living for the glory and righteousness that is found in one person alone, Jesus Christ. If you know him, you know peace. You don't know him, you, you won't know peace at all. It'll be just beyond your, your reach. It won't be there. You'll still be trying to pursue those things that the world offers to satisfy, to find contentment, happiness, and it won't be there. Father, we thank you that you sent your only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the answer to all worry, anxiety, hopelessness, helplessness, depression, anxieties, worries, stress, anything like that, Lord. Why? Because we can't be despondent and know the Lord. He is our hope. As we trust in Him as Lord and Savior, we trust that we are alive in Jesus Christ and that He has sealed us with the Spirit for the day of redemption. We are your, yours, Father, and no one can snatch us out of your hand. What can come against us? Nothing at all. Who can take us away from you? No one at all. Can even death? No, for it is the doorway to eternal life. Father, I pray that we would fix our eyes on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is truly the author and perfecter of our faith. I pray, Lord, that if anyone is here not knowing who Jesus Christ is, as far as like be, just being Lord, being Savior, Father, that this would be the day of salvation. This would be the day of surrender. This would be the day that they begin to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and know and trust that all of the things that are necessary for life will be provided by you. For you are faithful, you are good, you are trustworthy, and you are praiseworthy. And I ask, Lord, that for the church, Lord, that you would forgive us of being materialistic, of being 
so just earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. That we're focused on the things of the earth, the temporal things. I pray, Lord, that you would instead set our eyes on the eternal. That we would be heavenly minded. That we would sacrifice for your sake, for your glory, for your honor. That our lives would would scream of praises to you. That we would be passionate for you and you alone. So, Lord, we, we surrender to you. We give it all to you. We ask for your spirit. Lord, to revive your church. To fill us with your spirit anew. To overflowing. That we would be interested in truly discipling those around us. That we would do the work of an evangelist. That we would proclaim your truth to anyone who's willing to hear. That, Lord, you would do a special work today in this church called Refuge and in your church throughout the world. Father, may you be honored and glorified. May you be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.